Hey gang, this is Zach. I just wanted to hop on real quick before the episode to thank you all for your patience as we took an unannounced hiatus. We had a pretty crazy spring, but summer is here and we are ready to hit the ground running. We have a lot of great episodes lined up for you all. Next week, we have Dr. Christina Hodell, if you remember us mentioning her from our Powerful Girls episode. We had a great conversation with her yesterday about powerful tween girls in Disney sitcoms, and I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. I had a lot of fun, and that'll be coming next week. So um, again, thank you all. We are back. We will be going to a every other week schedule, um, just with Jessica and I's other life commitments. That is what is realistic for us to be able to do and continue to keep a regular schedule and it should improve the quality of the episodes as well um so thank you all for your patience again and enjoy the episode hey listen your kid may be queer but they're still here you gotta be a good dad forget about it well jessica and zach from the day they were born They started watching comedy because it was on She was a golden girl, he had Seinfeld on the brain They said a nine-year-old Frasier fan might just be insane Harry and the Hendersons, Mindy and Mork Now Jessica and Zach get together and talk They'll never say the sitcom's glory days are gone They'll still watch it because it was on 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 Is it too early to set up a Patreon? And I'll call it Because it was on 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 Hello and welcome to Because It Was On We are like that fancy film podcast, but for people who like to talk about that episode of WKRP in Cincinnati, where during a live broadcast from Dell Stereo and Sound, an unemployed DJ shows up with a gun and hijacks the broadcast. You gotta get out of here now. Listen, when the cops come, I'll give them a bad description of you, okay? Oh, Johnny, you're such a nice guy. I'm Zach. And my boss wants all the staff to wear costumes for Halloween to boost morale. But out of concern about culturally insensitive costumes, she has mandated all employees dress as legendary suffragette leader Anna Howard Shaw. And my name is Jessica. And this week, my daughter has dreams of being an Olympic gymnast. And oh, my, who is that in that car that just broke down in front of my house? Why, it's seven time Olympic medalist Simone Biles. (laughs) How uncanny. How uncanny. (laughs) Who would have guessed it? Okay, Jessica, what are we talking about today? Zachary, we often talk when we are doing uh, a deep dive into a particular episode that we select these deep dives based on shows that have lodged deep within our memory palaces. And since it is spooky season, I was sort of looking through the drawers and peeking in the closets of my memory palace, looking for the right selection. And I heard echoing from the basement, lemon ices, (laughs) lemon ices. And I knew, I knew exactly what we needed to talk about today. Or spooktober. 
for Spooktober, our spooky month of Halloween sitcom episodes, uh, primarily focusing on single episode deep dives of very great Halloween content. I submit for your consideration, King of Queens, Mm -hmm. season four, episode six, Tick or Treat. Tick or Treat. Yep. This is the first time that I've seen this episode. But how long has this dark passenger been riding in your back, Jessica? (laughs) (laughs) This episode aired October 29th, 2001. I actually did not see it when it aired. I think we've talked on this podcast before about King of Queens a couple of times. And each time we've said it was never something either of us watched too much as it was originally airing or picked up a lot in reruns. I know it more as like a cultural like joke. (laughs) <laughs> yeah her cultural Queen- reference is a better point i say. think my relationship with king of queens is like i have memories of going for various reasons into uh old people's houses and it would just be like <laughs> on because they just wouldn't mm. turn off the tv and so i would just mm. be standing there waiting for my friend or something <laughs> and we just watched some king of queens maybe i'm in a barber shop waiting for my turn and king of queens is on and that's what the barber is watching yeah. that's I mean, sort of my just... relationship with the show you kind of think of places that have CBS sitcoms going. Yeah. Just think of those places. And they were playing King of Queens. <laughs> this originally did not start as my dark passenger. This was gifted to me in like an It Follows situation by my husband, who one day had lemon ices like stuck in his head. And <laughs> I had to do like an internet deep dive to figure out when and in what series Cherry Stiller (laughs) yelled lemon Lemon ices and I did some research and landed upon Tick or Treat Mm -hmm. and it has been with me ever since I have carried that in my heart since (laughs) since then and I knew I might have to play some cards to get you to agree to it those cards were played you you never have to I never give you any pushback (laughs) absolute lies that is full lies. My policy is that if I have reservations, I will say them once. And then if you give me another volley, I'm like, okay, let's do it. Absolutely not. That is that is absolutely not how that what, conversation what works. Res- what re- resentments do you hold? <laughs> what, what, what is not getting no done? No resentments. No resentments. No resentments. We're clearly doing it. Yeah, we're doing it. We're not doing fucking little lo- lo- spookies, though. <laughs> <laughs> Look. Okay. I believe in a long life of this podcast. There will be Halloween's future. I will. Where we're not desperately trying to 10x our listenership. Yeah. Fair. Wait. Okay. Fuck what I was going to say. If the the Dutch do not hand over their version of Golden Girls, can I use my birthday card on Los Spookies? It's your birthday card. You can do whatever you want. Okay. I I'm partial to the answering altars airplanes and answering machines trope that you wanted to do i know and that means i don't have to use my birthday card for it Mm, actually i hate it i hate that idea too late spill the beans (laughs) okay Uh, it's all strategy around here (laughs) yeah yeah it's a game of thrones but just two people (laughs) (laughs) it's a dumb game of thrones we're arrested development we should we should dive in um, so King of Queens, it was a CBS sitcom that aired in the late 90s, early 2000s. Fun fact, it takes place in the Everybody Loves Raymond verse. Yeah. They exist in the same universe as each other. 
I want to do an episode where we just compare those two because it's very interesting to me that like, everybody loves Raymond is, I think because it's well-written, like everybody loves Raymond is a well-written show. Uh, like you can't deny that it it's enthralling to watch this family argue. Whereas King of Queens isn't. And, uh, I, I believe that King of Queens has its charms. It's, it, it took, it's almost as though this show was written f- for aliens. Like <laughs> I, nothing, it, it evokes nothing in me except Jerry Stiller being there. <laughs> no, last episode we talked about King of Queens. It felt like you were. It was like a from from enemies to lovers trope with you and Kevin James. Yeah, you know what? And <laughs> and the will they won't they? I'm currently in the won't they swing. <laughs> <laughs> It's all they tricked you because he was a working man, much like Jerry Stiller. Yeah, you were yeah. enthralled by the working man on strike. <laughs> he was a beautiful specimen then. Now, not so. He's lost his boyish charm for you, huh? Yep. This is so. This is their Halloween episode. Yes. Where um, where do we start off? I was just gonna slightly more context on King of Queens. So yes, it takes place in the Everybody Loves Raymond verse. It is about. Doug Heffernan, played by Kevin James. He's married to his wife, Carrie, played by Leia Remini. And he's a IPS driver, which is a knockoff of UPS. She is a paralegal. They live in Queens, if you can believe it. And Carrie's father, Arthur, played by Jerry Stiller, lives in their basement. And that's the show. That's what's happening. Doug is a, he's a man child. He's very much just like a Kevin James alter ego, boyish man child. And Carrie is his mommy wife. And that's pretty much the dynamic of the show. So in this particular episode, just to give like a hundred mile an hour overview of the plot, and then we'll dig in deep. What happens here is Doug Wants to celebrate Halloween. Arthur, who lives in his house, has forbidden it. It is forbidden. And so they have sort of a clash of wills. Doug decides to decorate the house anyway. And a drugstore paper ghosts uh, gives Cherry Stiller Arthur such a spook that he has a heart ischemia and ends up in the hospital. Doug wants to celebrate Halloween. Arthur does not want to celebrate Halloween. Doug pushes back, he decorates the house, it gives Arthur a little bit of a spook, and out of guilt, Doug spends the rest of the episode running around town trying to find the requested lemon ices from Arthur's youth. And that is our episode. Okay, yep, and quite the episode. I a lot to dive in, so let's get, let's, let's dive in, let's sink our teeth into this gooey Halloween caramel. <laughs> and... <laughs> Yes. So we open in on Doug and his best friend, Deacon, who is also an IPS driver. They are walking around a convenience store. And wouldn't you know it, it's Halloween time. So they're walking down the Halloween aisle of the market. Honestly, still one of my favorite places to be as as an adult. I love the Halloween aisle. We'll spend a great deal of time there. How are you on uh, Spirit Halloween? How am I on Spirit Halloween? Yeah, Spirit Halloween. I'll fuck with the Spirit Halloween. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll just 
go for like the fuck of it. Like, yeah, I'll no intention of buying Halloween. it. Absolutely. And then they're there. And one thing I wanted to note, Zach. So Deacon and and Doug, they're walking around this market right off the bat. Our first couple of lines of dialogue. Doug is hustling Deacon through this market. Like, we gotta go. I'm over being here. Let's let's hit it. And Deacon says, we would have been out of here faster if you didn't spend 20 minutes sniffing shampoos. Come on. How long does it take to find your kid a Halloween costume? Quit rushing me, man. You're the one who took 20 minutes smelling shampoos. And here's what I think that that proposes to us. That means that these two buddies go to the market together and don't just do the thing of like, all right, okay, you're going to go look for your kid's Halloween costume. I'm going to go check out shampoos. I'll meet you back here in 20 they are committed that's so to going sweet. down every aisle together. Yeah. They are together. That really is sweet. That that's I, I think that if I saw that in real life of like two men just like sticking with each other and like I'm gonna be here with you and you just sniff these shampoos, I would like I would fall in love uh, <laughs> at, at the idea of them. You can just imagine Doug like, ooh, lavender honey, Deacon Snip. Yeah, it's just, I mean, when I go to a store with anyone, I am like a ghost within yeah. five five seconds. I'm of... out of there. I'm gone. Same. <laughs> like, because just call me when you're done because I am already gone. <laughs> I am on my ADHD journey. Absolutely. I... <laughs> See you I'm... in housewares. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That's exactly how it's happening. I'm heading over here. I don't want you with me. Well, I look at it. It's going to slow me down. <laughs> I don't want because, that to be part of this. Because I have randomly had the thought of, I wonder how far light bulb technology has advanced since I last checked. <laughs> so I'll just go there. <laughs> I remember, like, it's a thing, like a, a ritual as a girl, and I'm sure as a gay man you've been invited many a times, is to go shopping together. I mm-hmm. hate shopping with other people. I can't stand going shopping with other people because I need to be on my own journey. And... I... Yeah, my mom fucking traumatized me with that shit. So absolutely, I I need to be alone. This needs to be a me dealing with my demon situation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it is cute to know that Dougie and Deacon, they go and they they spend their time together at that store. Mm -hmm. They're not about efficiency. They're about the experience together. And we learn, okay, Doug's hurrying him up, and we learn a couple of key things coming out of this scene. One, Deacon is there choosing a Halloween costume on behalf of his son. I think this is a weird way to go about it. You're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. Never in my life have I, like, as a child, had my Halloween costume prescribed to me. That is a journey you go on. It is a big, big decision as a child. This is top, it's a top five decision of the entire year as a child. Yeah. What you're going to be for Halloween. It is like, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for your birthday? And what are you going to be for Halloween? Those are the three things that like you need to decide as a child. It's literally the only thing you have power over is like... (laughs) Your parents respect this one decision. <laughs> no, he's just, this is his first kid, apparently. He, he thinks he's going to go in the drugstore 
get himself uh, like a pirate costume and just assign it to his son. Fuck that, no. Absolutely not. This is something that kids are thinking about in July. Mm -hmm. They are starting their journey of what am I going to be for Halloween? Again, you have three big decisions in the kid year, and this is up there. It is on the podium for top three big kid decisions. And so Mm -hmm. Deacon has the audacity to just start grabbing plastic bag costumes off the shelf, thinking it's going to fly with his son Kirby. No. And you know what, guys? It does not fly. But he's trying to make this decision. He says, my son wants to be a superhero. And unfortunately, there are no black superhero costumes. So what am I going to do? I got I got a Black Power Ranger and I got Darth Vader. These are these are my options as a black father trying to buy a costume for my son, which I'm I'm starting off here a little on your side, Deacon. I get it. That's a tough that's a tough go. You should have just brought your son to the store instead of Doug. Yeah. But then some some other interesting things happen in this first very first exchange. One, we learn that Doug and Carrie don't really celebrate Halloween. They don't do trick-or-treat. They don't put decorations up. They're just not a Halloween people. And I want to get your thoughts on whether you feel like this tracks for Doug as a character. I think it does. Because there is quietly throughout all households, probably in the world, a a strong class division between in in holidays between the the magic makers, the magic takers. (laughs) The people that are making the Thanksgiving dinner, and that's how they're spending their day off and everyone that's eating it. And how it's divided in Halloween is that there's magic. The magic makers are supposed to be just the adults, and kids are the ones that get it. They're the ones that do the treats. Millennials, we have innovated it and we've claimed it. Like <laughs> I was going to say, I feel very attacked as someone with no kids in a lawn full of decorations. Oh yeah, the no- it's totally normal now to just like go all the fuck out. But for like Doug's generation, it, no, like if you're an adult, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to stay home, give candy to the kids. And that's just, that's too much giving for Doug. I don't see him doing that. So... Interesting. I get where you're going with this. And Doug and Carrie are an unusual sitcom couple in that they don't have kids. I feel like for you, that's one of the only marks in the pro column of King of Queens is we're not dealing with sitcom kids. (laughs) Um, We have Jerry Stiller instead. Genius move. Actually, honestly, plus plus. You're really really talking yourself into liking King of Queens here. But Doug is a man child. And I feel like Man, ch- man, children still find childlike joy in the world, and Halloween is a—it's a holiday rich of with childlike joy. I—I I don't feel like it fully tracks for his character, Carrie. I believe it because they've set her up in this universe as the fun police. Carrie, yeah. I believe she is not interested. She doesn't care enough to celebrate Halloween. She's not going to expend her energy, like you said on creating and then cleaning up the magic yeah but doug i feel like would at least want to buy a bag of candy to give out to the trick-or-treaters no i mean i i don't know the show very well but my vibe with doug is he's a taker (laughs) he the idea of like so he gets he starts like loading up his arms in the scene with halloween candy bags and then deacon's like how many kids are you expecting to come? It's like, no, this is for me. 
Yeah, because and we cannot go four minutes in King of Queens without Kevin James reminding you I'm a big fat fuck. Yeah, here's the thing. Boy. <laughs> Idiotic mistake. If it's Halloween. Day um, after. Day at, my birthday is November 2nd, which means that at, when I was a kid, every birthday was lousy with on-sale Halloween candy. Lousy um, with it. Yeah. It is it, the true holiday as an adult is the day after the holiday because mm-hmm. that's when that's when Target's got that shit 60% off. Yeah, and you're just loading up for the rest of the year. That's it. Like, you know, when it comes to like it comes to September, you're eating like fossilized dots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely the move. So yeah, he's he's fucking up, but again, he loves to remind you that he's a bad bad fat boy. And yeah, so yeah. he can't pass up the candy without getting an armload full. And I, I, be- I believe that he will be back for the on sale candy. Come no yeah, yeah. This is just an impulse control problem. You can't have a <laughs> delayed gratification. <laughs> <laughs> so we learned that. And then the, again, weird choices abound in this very first opening scene. Because Doug is saying, look, I don't celebrate Halloween. It's not part of, you know, what we do as a couple. It's just, we're not that into it. Move on, guy. And Deacon is like, my shitty kid wants to come trick-or-treat at your house. So can you at least decorate your house for my kid? Yeah. Big ask, sir. And weird. Weird (laughs) ask. (laughs) We usually just shut the lights out and pretend we're not home. Does that mean Carrie's got to take an occasional egg to the back of the head? Sure. But you know what? The trade-off's worth it. Come on, man. My kid wants to come to your house to trick-or-treat. Can't you do something to make the place look a little Halloweenish? I mean, get a pumpkin at least. Damn. Fine. You know, if it'll shut you up, I'll get a pumpkin. That's all. Put, you need to put a pumpkin out so that my kid can see the pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> like, he really is like, it takes a village. And yeah. we here at IPS are a family. And so you need to be invested in my son's joy of the holiday. Yeah, absolutely. Bananas behavior. part of the experience. <laughs> like, because that, that pumpkin was that Doug bought, it was $6. So are, are you paying for that, Deacon? Because it's your shitty kid <laughs> that's going to see this pumpkin. Doug doesn't even know how to carve it. <laughs> Clearly not, because in the next scene, yeah. we cut to Doug carving it and his stupid big meaty hands just crush that pumpkin into bits as he's hacking away at the face he's carving the pumpkin and in walks the angel of the episode jerry Jerry stiller Stiller. little arthur spooner arthur spooner carrie's dad he lives out loud he He is yeah if there is a feeling or emotion, and this is just a Jerry Stiller trademark. We've talked about it before in our Unions episode. He is one of the most unique actors around. Mm-hmm. Jerry Stiller yeah. has line reads that no one else can do on this planet. But it's very much like the Jerry Stiller, Matt Berry school of acting, where you don't know how the fuck they're going to read. Jerry Stiller and Catherine O'Hara and Matt Berry, they need to have like a sitcom together mm-hmm. where it's just the most surreal accents bouncing off of each other and like line reads. Yeah, the the like the meter of the words is never gonna be how a human would normally say something. <laughs> it's never gonna be that. 
<laughs> I just had the dumbest fucking thought. Uh, ha- have you seen Sandman? The Neil Gaiman yeah, the adaptation? Ne- the TV yeah. show? Yeah. No. No. There is. I, this... I asked a lot of questions to tell you no. <laughs> I, so there is this scene in Sandman where Satan, or Lucifer, played by the same actress that played Brianna of Tarth in Game of Thrones, She's having essentially like a wizard duel with Sandman, Lord of Dreams. And like apparently how entities like this fight is they sort of have like a, a rap battle, but like with pros. And like, it's sort of like this thing where like, okay, I go first. So I set the meter. And so I I, I would love for them to have had that fight with like <laughs> Satan and then like Jerry Stiller, Ben Jerry Stiller. <laughs> That's the meter. <laughs> and everybody has to read it like Jerry Stiller would. <laughs> like, out of control, volume is going to be all over the map. I am it's fire, just, burning and raging. <laughs> just, just you don't know where it's going to be or or how he's going to come at you with that line. It is like being in a cage with a wild tiger. That is mm-hmm. watching Jerry Stiller on screen. And so he comes in, and he is gagged that there is a pumpkin. Because in this household, Halloween is forbidden. Hey, how's it going? What is that? Oh, boy. It's a pumpkin. What is it doing in this house? Dad. It's a Halloween thing for the kids. What are you... <laughs> there will be no Halloween in this house. Do you understand? It's forbidden. Forbidden! Yep. He takes it and he smashes it outside. Halloween is forbidden. No Halloween in this house. Um, <laughs> There's just no pauses for thought. Yeah. No pauses for conversation or processing. Halloween is forbidden. Pumpkin smash. Yeah. We, He's living out loud. Yeah. We just, uh, we gravitate towards this kind of personality because we are very demure people a lot of the time. We would literally never. We would literally yeah. never. It's like, oh, I have deep-seated trauma about this thing, but it's like, it's fine. I'll just be in my room. Like, we we need somebody to be there that's like living out loud and making decisions. Otherwise, he'll take us for uh, like four hours to pick where to eat. There's nothing <laughs> worse in my life than making a decision. Making yep. the decision where to eat, I'd rather starve. Yeah. I would rather starve than if there's a group of people and they ask me to choose where to eat. Yeah, I just don't I'll want... I'll die. So yeah, uh, Jerry Stiller, that, that problem has never occurred to him. He, he, no, he exactly has where he wants to. He eat. has like an algorithm already <laughs> set. What the what the, the week is it? <laughs> <laughs> Who's got specials? Yeah, he knows where he wants to eat, and God bless him. I wish I had that. He's got coupons. Power. Yeah, <laughs> he already knows what he's getting off the menu, but he's still going to talk to the waitress about it. Yeah, no, he knows, and yeah, he takes no no time at all to smash that pumpkin. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of where. We get to at least the the root of the first part of the episode as King of Queens sets it up, which is we are moving towards a power struggle between yeah. Doug and Arthur. Arthur doesn't uh, pay rent. Arthur <laughs> doesn't pay rent. You would think that maybe his social security is contributing in some way. Or like the reason he has to move in with Doug and Carrie is because his last house burnt down. So you'd think there'd be like insurance money going on. But as Doug describes it, Arthur contributes nothing to this household. 
And he is upset because Arthur has set a lot of rules for how the household should live. They are only allowed to have an American-made VCR. They cannot use red pens. They cannot have soft cheese. And they cannot mention FDR's polio. That one cracked me up. That one was <laughs> legit. I, such a missed opportunity because I would have loved to have seen that interaction. <laughs> that right. cut too? Yeah, yeah. I, I wish they did cut cutaways. <laughs> and there's no way for me to even like do a pretend version of it because God only knows how Jerry Stiller would read those lines. How would he say it? What was his reason? Why was it? What? Wh- where did that conversation even come in? Yeah. There's so much going on there. We need to understand why he 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 didn't want his his king to be <laughs> to be revealed as having polio. Yeah, so he he has all these things, and we see it sort of played out um, a lot in the next scene where Deacon is saying like, "Look, you got the sponge of a guy living off you, but he's setting the rules for how your house is to be run." And this is where Doug ends up having a lot for the of audience. We're back in the drugstore. Just so you yes. can visualize what's happening. In the next scene, yes. Before we fully go back there, Carrie is kind of taking her dad's side. Look, Doug, it's not that big of a deal. Is Halloween really what you want to go to bat for? Does it matter that much to you? Like, I understand this is a power struggle, but like, there's going to be other opportunities to do this with my dad. She has him talk down. Not, not without, like, first of all, saying, like, why are you so fucked up about the pumpkin being smashed? It wasn't an Entenmann's cake. That doesn't give him the right to smash my pumpkin, does it? Does it? All right, calm down. It's a pumpkin, not your Entenmann's cake. So again, yeah, because again, there's boy. a quota of people. Also, one thing I noticed about King of Queens is unusual in how much brand incorporation there is to it. Because normally, like you know, Dan Connor, he's drinking just like he's Suds drinking like beer, yeah, beer brand beer, yeah. Like, everything is generic and, like, TV-branded in yeah. the Roseanne household. And most sitcoms. Ads everywhere in King of Queens. Yeah. Like, one, they bring up Entenmann's all the time. Yeah. I, I hope They're Entenmann's talking about Entenmann's. It's like how in Everybody Loves Raymond, this must be a CBS thing, because in Everybody Loves Raymond, they're always drinking Canada Dry Ginger Ale. Mm-hmm. Go yeah. back and watch the episodes. They're always drinking Canada Dry Ginger Ale. Always. Label is always facing camera. Always. Uh, they love the mini bottles. I, so, Martinelli's, yeah. I hope, was getting, cutting a check to Boy Meets World because... <laughs> they were drinking lots of Martinelli's. Yeah, like, everyone has diabetes in the household. <laughs> they just chugging apple juice. Just pounding them one after the other. Uh, but yeah, so it, it's not an Entenmann's cake. And then Doug is like, I'm going to go get one. But then what sets him off, because Carrie has him talked off of the ledge. You know what? Not that big of a deal. I don't need to go to bat for Halloween. Jerry Stiller comes in sees the bag of Kit Kats and says, fun size Kit Kats, also forbidden. Takes the Kit Kats away. <laughs> Popping off. Doug's ready to go. He's ready to brawl at this point. Because again, we have a quota to meet on how many times in an episode Doug is called a, a tubby little fat boy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a minimum quota. If you haven't listened to our union episode, we do believe that that Kevin James has a personal... Kink. humiliation king yeah a personal humiliation king that he just likes to work into king of queens yeah. so there's a quota on how many times he has to be shamed about his competence or his weight or his appearance so we got to get those in he, so he, he he's takes- got like a nikki avocado situation oh. happening is what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> he's got a quota 
And so then now we are fully back in the drugstore again because big shock, Deacon. Your kid who you had the audacity to choose their costume on their behalf didn't like your costume. Yeah. Huh. I learned that, again, I I learned this lesson like three, like three days into like had uh, my nephew living with me because I would take him to the library and I would try to help him find things in the library and just be like, hey, what about this? Uh, you like this? And he would just like refuse it. And I realized that I had set up, uh, does this please the Sultan? <laughs> scenario and you never want to set up a does this please the sultan scenario it will never please the sultan you have to make the kid do the work absolutely um i was just thinking like as it relates to choosing a place to eat that is my does this please the sultan scenario because i'm i'm the sultan i'm the sultan i just want to be I, the sultan i won't choose where to eat but yeah. My husband must come to me like, does this please you? Does this Mexican food please you, my lord? And I'll be like, no, I do not want Mexican food. And he'll be like, please, my, please, my lady. Please. Bring what me food, another option. What food genre do you want? I don't know, but not Mexican food. And that is the exchange until I get to the point of saying, I will say no to everything you're going to say. So you are just going to have to drive to a place. The Sultan will never be pleased. Because the secret was, I'm not that hungry. <laughs> or I'm too hangry and I can't be making a decision. The oh, blood God, sugar got yeah. too low. <laughs> <laughs> so that is, I am the Sultan. I am the Sultan now. Surprise, surprise, Deacon's kid didn't like it. I think it's important to note as we get deeper into understanding Deacon's son Kirby in this episode. He notes that Darth Vader was too scary and it made Deacon cry. He's a little sensitive boy. He gets too scared. Yeah, Deacon. Yeah, Deacon's soft. He doesn't, he got he doesn't scared like of a Darth Vader costume. This like nine-year-old child. And so Deacon's, he's putting fuel on the fire of, hey, Arthur's sponging off you. Why are you letting Arthur sponge off you like this? He lives with you. And Doug tries to give it back to him. He's like, well, you got a kid sponging off of you. And that's when Deacon sort of tells us, you know what? Kirby's a great kid because he does all these things around the house. Man, I've never understood how you let someone push you around and just sponging off you in the first place. Oh, I'm getting pushed around? You're the one who's running back and forth to a drugstore trying to find a costume for someone who... Let's face it, it's totally sponging off of you. You mean my kid? That's right, cold glass of water, isn't it? Okay, first of all, Kirby's in grade school. And second, he actually doesn't sponge off of us. He does a lot to help out around the house. Like what? Like, cleans his room, makes his bed, rinses his dinner plates. He does? Yeah. Son of a mother! <laughs> Arthur doesn't do any of that. I mean, the guy contributes nothing to our house. Except the smell of brill cream and... Old. Subtext. Doug doesn't do them either. I was just going to say, here's the thing that comes up a little bit later in the episode. Neither does Doug. Yeah, not a shock. Like, even as I was watching it for the first time, and I saw that, I was like, you don't do that either, Doug. Yeah, which <laughs> it becomes so fascinating, considering this whole episode is about a power struggle between Arthur and Doug of who is king of that castle. Mm -hmm. Who is the king of queens, right? 
Yeah. And Doug believes it to be rightfully him because he's earning the income and contributing to the house in this way. But it's revealed that he does nothing in terms of taking care of the house or all of the other duties that go along with it. Who does? Carrie. And guess what else? Carrie also works full time and brings in an income that at points has sustained the family Yeah. when Doug was out of work. And so it's just hilarious that we're having this power struggle when if you're keeping score on paper, Carrie's the king of queens. Yeah, it's... We talked about this a little bit in the Union episode. Like, King of Queens is just two people. It's, like, decimated traditional masculinity. Like, it's been, like, flattened by a nuclear bomb. And it's just the last two soldiers going at it fighting <laughs> for King of the Hill. Just like, yeah. I'm man of the house. It's no longer a meaningful title. <laughs> no um, longer a meaningful title. And also, like, just, like, such a raw deal for Carrie, who Doug is expected to do nothing and still believe himself king of the castle. Yeah. Um, it, it is important to note that, that Doug is so amazed and Arthur's this big freeloader because he doesn't do any of these things. Neither does Doug. Yeah. The only difference between Doug and Arthur is Arthur's got a social security check and Doug has a paycheck. Yeah. End of list. And we move on then. Doug decides, you know what? Fuck it. Arthur, I want Halloween. You're living in my house. It's my house. Doesn't matter that my wife said she doesn't want to do this either. It's my house. We are doing Halloween. And so he grabs a bunch of convenience store Halloween decorations. Very next scene we see Doug's hanging them up. He's hanging up the Halloween decorations. We got a witch. We got a skeleton. I am jazzed. And then we get a little ding dong at the door. Little ding dong. Time for a trick-or-treater. He opens the door, and it's Deacon with a very cute little kid dressed up as Blossom from the Powerpuff Girls. Trick-or-treat! Hey, my first customer! What are you supposed to be there, Curb? A Powerpuff Girl. <laughs> we uh, thought about this for seven straight hours. Which Powerpuff Girl are you, Curb? Blossom. <laughs> Blossom. Cool. All right, well, here you go, Blossom. Take whatever you like. Uh, uh, Mary Jane, Kirby, take the three musketeers. I Mary Jane. No, no, he wants the three musketeers. <laughs> three men in tights? Feels like a lateral move. <laughs> Thanks, right? I also have hesitations about this costume because it's a little bit creepy. Halloween, Halloween costumes usually are. Like, if you're getting a plastic out-of-the-bag costume that's trying to, like, pull off a cartoon character, generally pretty creepy. Yeah, generally when you're trying to do, like, The Simpsons in particular, I've seen some pretty fucked up The Ooh, Simpsons. Ooh, yeah. Like the rubber yeah. thing with, to make give you, like, the pokey head. Yeah, in fact, I don't know if I've ever seen a Simpsons costume really pulled off well, because I've also seen people, like, paint themselves yellow, mm -hmm. and it's also just disturbing. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen a Simpsons done well in costume form. But yeah, you're never looking good if you're a cartoon character at like a shake-and-go spirit Halloween costume. You can do the Scooby-Doo gang. That's about it. It's because they're That's fairly well <laughs> proportioned. That's about it. Yeah. And so 
He's in this Blossom costume. It's not the world's greatest Blossom costume, but it's got like the like cardboard style like hair that the uh, Powerpuff Girls have. Very angular. Um, and he's wearing glasses that give him like the giant Powerpuff Girl eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's a Powerpuff Girl. And this is where he landed on his costume choice. And this kicks off the journey for the rest of the episode for Doug's best friend, Deacon. Because his son has now chosen to dress up as a girl character mm-hmm. for Halloween. Yeah. And he is shooketh to his core. Yeah, he... Who, I don't... I guess maybe we'll talk about it when we're wrapping up. But Deacon does, to his credit keep it to himself like doesn't like traumatize the kid i don't think deacon did that terrible of a job in this episode yeah i'm giving him a passing grade for sure i don't think that like okay so could he have done better yes and i think we'll get to it there's a scene there there are two other scenes that are like i'd say pivotal in deacon's journey around his son dressing as a girl for halloween mm-hmm. but i think deacon on the whole he does okay at the end of the day the kid is in that costume yeah, he bought Deacon, the, kid, the costume for the kid. And Deacon is there at the door with his kid in that yep. costume. I think that's a lot more than most people could probably say for dads who are maybe uncomfortable with gender things or their son doing anything even remotely feminine. There's probably a lot of people out there who wish they could have been a Powerpuff Girl. He's in the costume and Deacon is taking, Deacon bought it, Deacon took him trick-or-treating. He is out there with him. Holding his son's hand, going from house to house. It, he I mean, does... what, what, do you, what, what can you expect? He had some ho-hums, but he resolved his bullshit within 24 hours. And to me, that's an A+. Plus. That's it. He, he's doing all right. I think there's, like, there's a lot to talk about in terms of how the show like structures this issue. Mm-hmm. And I think like what the show is saying. But Deacon himself, I think, is doing an all right job here. All yeah. things considered. And he is bashful about it, and he, he does, ba- he's clearly he embarrassed. He, like, he yeah. very clearly is ashamed. But he's not ashamed enough to let his own bullshit impact his son's night. Yeah. He's allowing his son to have his night. But it, he's oh, wait, not- Okay, pause. They did fight about it for seven straight they hours. They fought about it for seven hours. Absolutely. Yeah. Which um, is for sure some shit that Kirby's going to be telling us He's going to remember. He's going to yeah. remember. So I'm not saying Deacon is like, I wouldn't call it flying colors. I wouldn't say like you are world like most informed and supportive parent on like gender issues. But now that I'm remembering the seven hours thing, I'm I'm backpedaling a little bit. Seven hours is a long time to argue. It is. And when Kirby picks out his candy, he picks out a Mary Jane. Which I looked it up. It's like a peanut butter candy. I've never had one in my life. And his dad is like, Kirby, please take the three musketeers. Take the three musketeers. And like I said, I think Deacon gets a passing grade. I don't know if I'd say he gets an A+. I know you watch your A+, back. I think Deacon gets like a C, C minus. I, okay. So seven hours is a really long time. And I'm just imagining like there's, every queer person is at some point called upon to like tell their villain origin story about like all the fucked up things that adults did to them as they were coming into being and Kirby definitely has a story about his dad fighting him for seven hours about being a powerpuff girl 
And he also has now a story about, yeah, my dad wouldn't even let me have Mary Janes. I'd eat three musketeers because they're men. Yes. Uh, give him a D because he resolved his bullshit within 24 hours. Yeah. He clearly was working through some stuff, Deacon. He was not coming out of the box, like coming out of the gate supporting his son wholeheartedly. Yeah. He argued with him about the costume for seven hours. And he didn't want his son to choose the Mary Jane candy. So he clearly has like a shitload of anxiety about what's going on with his son. You know, like, you knows for the standard is Edith from All in the Family, she would have like fully been on board for the Powerpuff Girls. Like, I don't think she would have worried for a moment. Edith would have been like, oh, he wants to be a Powerpuff Girl. She would have gotten on that church oh, phone tree. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> she would have gotten on that, like, church phone tree. She would have found uh, two have other it. kids. Two other kids to do block bubbles and buttercup. She just sewed it. She just sewed the costumes herself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There so that's an no, A. That's no. what an A plus looks like. That's what an A plus looks like. Edith <laughs> is always going to get an A plus. Deacon, he's getting, like, D, C minus territory. He clearly had a lot going on, right? So if we're talking about like a probably like slightly left of center, but only slightly dad working class in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, you put all of that into the context bucket. And then you think about the fact that he went out with his kid. All right. All right. Um, and Doug's not much help in this regard, but let's put a pin in Kirby and Deacon for a minute. And Kirby and Deacon, no, hold on, hold on. I'm working on something that I want to get. This is what I'm working on. I want to do like a a RuPaul like judgment thing (laughs) for Deacon's parenting. I want to be like, Deacon, your parenting has a lot more. It has a lot more work to do before it will blossom. Let's do this. Let's do this. Put that into the subconscious. We can end on it. Okay. Because we still got more to talk about with Deacon. Okay. All right. We'll 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 both. So let the subconscious untie that little nugget. Okay. Okay. And so I'm going to be taking you out for the rest of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put a pin in Deacon and his dad, or I'm sorry, Deacon and his son, and we will move on to. Doug's eternal struggle for power against Arthur. So Arthur comes home and he's made it very clear. He does not want Halloween in this house. Uh, Doug has gone and put up all of these convenience store decorations. One, which includes a paper ghost made of the, you think of a convenience store paper ghost folks, you got it. It's fine. And Arthur walks out of the kitchen at Doug's insistence. He sees the paper ghost and immediately has a heart attack. Yeah, just floored. Boom. Cut to the hospital. (laughs) Floored. Cut to the hospital. He literally had a heart attack over a convenience store paper ghost. That house was his safe space, Zachary. Yeah, like, he was basically like a veteran on 4th of July. He was staying in that house (laughs) for, like, all of October. (laughs) (laughs) The rest of the world are Halloween supporters. They are hostile to his trauma. That we will learn about momentarily. And that house was his one safe space. And Doug ripped it from him. He didn't understand his Halloween-based trauma. Yeah, and (laughs) there is, folks, some trauma. 
there um, is some Halloween based trauma. So we cut to the hospital. Here is where I will be on <laughs> Doug's side for a moment. We're in the hospital and Carrie arrives. Oh my God, what's going on with my, my dad? And Doug's like, he had a heart. He's fine. Doctor told me he's fine. He had a heart ischemia. And then Doug's trying to explain what that is. He can't. And Carrie is pissed that Doug doesn't know what a heart ischemia is. Doug, how's my dad? Is everything okay? Uh, he's fine. He's fine. Okay. The doctor's in there now checking him out. He had what they called uh, a heart ischemia. A heart ischemia? What the hell is that? Did he tell you? Yes. Yeah. He said it's, it's not that serious. It's just when the heart and the ischemia part of the heart, it doesn't throb in the traditional, I don't know. Did you listen when the man talks to you? As somebody who has been at the hospital while the doctor is explaining something like in a lot of medical terms that is highly complicated, but then they tell you it's good or bad. You're going to remember it's good or bad. And then if somebody asks you to then explain what like HR2 positive means. Yeah. You're not going to be able to. So I'm slightly on Doug's side. I don't understand Carrie's bullshit where she expected him to just fucking know what an ischemia is. Yeah. <laughs> That's I, a high expectation, Carrie. Yeah. This was before smartphones. <laughs> you can't expect him. Just know right. that. Uh, but he he gives it his his best. He's like it, it, the heart's pumping the wrong way. Very nope. relatable in that moment. Nothing else to be asked for. I'm on Doug's side completely in this moment. Mm -hmm. So then we go actually into the hospital room, and Carrie is oh my god, Dad, I'm so sorry. At which point Arthur makes what I deem to be the worst request a sick person could ever make of me. Listen, can you do me a little favor? Sure. Could you go through my address book and call all my friends and my loved ones? Don't alarm them. Just bring them up to speed on my predicament. Sure. Anything else? I'd love a pack of Sensen and the latest issue of Gent. Which is, please call everyone in my address book mm -hmm. and tell them that I'm fine, but in the hospital. I would rather you die. Yeah. It's just, my God. That sounds like a fucking nightmare. Jackie had to do it when other guy died and Roseanne. We have Facebook now, which is just what. Thank God. Yeah. Thank God. I will tell I will tell your sisters. <laughs> I will tell your mom. And I will tell everyone you played Farmville with all in one shot. Yep. But just go through an entire address book and just be like, hey, that guy that you said you'd get a good deal with him for him on some tires in 1975. He, <laughs> he had a heart attack. He had a heart attack. He's fine. He just had a heart attack. No truer hell. You could not ask me to do a worse task for you. I I would indeed just wish you died at yeah. that point. Absolutely horrible thing to ask. He also does ask her for a Sen Sen and a copy of Gents magazine. Zachary, did you happen to look up what either of those things are? No, it's Gents porn. Gents is porn. Yeah. Sen Sen is a candy that was popular in like the, the 30s <laughs> through the 50s. It is like a licorice mint. And they didn't do the scene where Carrie found out that Gents was porn. <laughs> and Gents is a porn magazine that was popular from like the 50s to the 70s. And their slogan was Home of the Double Ds. <laughs> 
<laughs> so that is what Arthur asked his daughter to do for him. He said, call everyone I've ever known. Get me some licorice and get me some porn. It's such <laughs> I'd a, rather you die. It's such a diva move. It's so <laughs> like Miranda Priestly. Just like, I need you to inform everyone. I've had a heart murmur. Tell everyone. Tell everyone. Because Arthur is being a diva in this moment. He is eating up the scenery and the scene here. He knows this is his moment. So he tells his daughter, go get me some licorice and porn. Goodbye. And now we're, we're Doug and Arthur. And Arthur is being very dramatic, like turning to each side as Doug tries to talk to him. Yeah. Doug's meeting him on one side. He turns over. Doug meets him on the other side. He turns over. And Doug is saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I gave you ischemia. Please forgive me. And this fucking queen, this goddamn brilliant queen that is Jerry Stiller, waits until Doug has opened the door and has taken one step out. And then he says, Douglas, have I ever told you about my father? And here's the thing. When you have Jerry Stiller as your actor... One of the best moves you can make is to give him a long monologue where he tells a, like a traumatizing story. Because the writers of Seinfeld found that out early, and he has some like bangers. Jerry, Jerry will always do an amazing like. As I write, blows upon his head. I thought that might must be a better way. <laughs> like, he's so good, or like yeah. the one where he's in Korea. And he's, like, doing the Battle of the Bulge, but he just gave, like, a bunch of troops diarrhea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he is, he's nothing if not a storyteller. Yeah. Jerry Stiller. And Douglas, have I ever told you about my father? And this is the point at which we get, I dare say, the best Halloween-based trauma that you're going to get outside of a movie with a bunch of 17-year-olds being murdered. Did I ever tell you about my father? No. The man was a rotten gambler. Oh, sure, once in a while he'd stumble on a winner and toss a nickel my way. Before he could change his mind, I'd run down to Gabe's Pizzeria for some lemon ices. Nothing ever tasted better. You ever been to Gabe's? It's a Bronx landmark. Gabe's Pizzeria? I, I, I don't think so. They have a picture of a chimp with a big Italian mustache in the window. <laughs> it's hilarious. Okay. <laughs> you do understand, chimps don't usually have mustaches. I get the funny. I just... Where, where, where are you going with this, Arthur? Well, as I said, my father was usually broke. One Halloween, when I was eight, things were especially bad. It looked like we might go hungry. In those days, on Halloween, people would give out apples and cakes and sometimes even a penny. My father made me go trick-or-treating till my feet were numb. I had to change costumes a few times so I could repeat houses. (laughs) But the neighbors knew. I tell you, Douglas, it doesn't feel good to be pitied. So... You'll forgive me if I don't share your love for a holiday called Halloween. Now, this is where... So this is at about, like, the 10-minute mark where we get this for this 22-minute show. And the thing about King of Queens is it's constantly (laughs) surprising me 
how poorly written it is. <laughs> because at this point, dear listeners, you pretty much now understand the trajectory for the rest of the show. Like, th- there's no more twists, there's no more turns. We're just letting everything naturally play out. I assume because this was introduced so early that it was going to be revealed by some of, like, the B-plots. Like, Carrie is now on her mission to call relatives. So are we going to get a revelation uh, from one of those relatives that actually he came from a fairly well-to-do father? Or, or like, oh, that's complete bullshit. Is that how we're going to do it? Surely they're going to, like, tie in one plot to the other, you know, in a Seinfeldian style. Or, like, Doug is now going to try to get Lemon Ices for for him as, like, a by way of apology. He's, like, hunting for every Gabe's in the Bronx. And, oh, are we going to finally find the Gabe's? And the old, there's going to be, like, an old guy that's like, yeah, I remember him. And, like, call bullshit on Jerry's story. None of that happens. Nope. We have a genuine moment here. Yeah. I think that's what's throwing you, because in Seinfeld, we're never going to have a genuine moment, especially with Jerry Stiller's character. Yeah. So I think you're thrown by the fact that, like, it's a genuine moment. And I feel like your bar is very high if you're comparing it to Seinfeld, because this is, like... Yeah, it's not giving you twists and turns, but this everybody is like loves Raymond would have sitcom like a, level. Every everybody loves Raymond would even have like a third act. Yeah, twist. yeah, 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 yeah. But I feel like those are like high bar. Yeah, that's sitcoms. True. If you were like, I think if you stack rank where King of Queens lands, sure they're not going to do like a third act twist like King of or like Seinfeld or Everybody Loves Raymond would. But I also think that this is like sitcom writing level, probably par for the course of the average sitcom. So we're putting it somewhere in the middle. And then I do think we have like the Jerry Stiller element that like bumps it up to like one notch. I'm putting, I think I'm putting King of Queens a bit lower in terms of like writing quality. I I wrote this down. I wrote this down because it just pissed me off that a writer that got paid wrote, made this line. Um, So, uh, Doug is angry at Arthur, and so he calls him a name. This professional, uh, like, union writer <laughs> came up with the name that he was going to call, and it was Wrinkles McGee. Wrinkles McGee. That's a very Kevin James name, though. Like, that's that's a line he would come up with off the bat. It feels also very Adam Sandler to me. Wrinkles McGee. Uh, it's so mediocre. It feels very, like, of that school, the Adam mm-hmm. Sandler school of dudes, like Kevin James, Adam Sandler, David Spade, Rob Schneider. Like, it feels very of that. Yeah, I think, we're saying, I think we're saying the same thing. Yes, it feels very them. I don't know. I feel like the, like the moments with Jerry Stiller in this are iconic and quotable enough that this episode ranks, like, yeah. one notch above mediocre for me. Yeah, fair, fair. Jerry like, St- it's Jerry Stiller. Anytime I see fun size Kit Kats, I will be saying fun size Kit Kats also forbidden. forbidden. <laughs> <laughs> like it, I do think it has like cultural staying power in that regard. I do think this is a very good okay, Halloween fair, episode. Fair but I agree, it doesn't have like twi- it's. You're not gonna get twists and turns. That's not the show you should come and expecting though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. 
we now are, he leaves the hospital. We're back. Carrie's doing all these calls. Oh my God. She's got all these people to call. They all hate Arthur is what we learn. That's the goop of her doing all these calls is that she's just like, don't like her dad. Yeah. That's it. So that's all we have to mention about that. They just don't like her dad. But what's interesting here is we're talking about like the power dynamics and like the journey that Doug is going on in this episode. He's had an, it's discussed a lot in like the TikTok discourse about the moments when men learn to have like basic human empathy. And I believe that this was the moment that Doug learned to have some level of basic human empathy. In all these years, I thought Arthur was being insane just to annoy me. Never thought that things in his life actually made him that way. Oh, God, I can't get that image out of my mind. A little Arthur in his beanie hat running down to that Gabe's pizzeria with a nickel in his hand. Lemonizers! And so it turns out when you have basic human empathy, the struggle for who's the king of the castle is a little less important because you realize that your home is not actually a power struggle of rules. It's about relationships with individual people who have different backstories and drivers for their motivations for their actions and needs out of these relationships. And so I think that it actually like that is the culmination of the power struggle part of the episode is when he learns to have basic human empathy. And then we move into like guilt and redemption. Yeah. Because he is going to make it up by yes. hunting down, like we said, every Gabe's in the Bronx yes. to get the right Gabe's with a monkey mustache and get the lemon ices for this old man. Yeah, so that's what he's doing. He and Deacon are driving around the Bronx looking for every Gabe's, which at this point in time would have been a big lift. This is this is a gesture that is being done because you'll you'll remember no no Google, no smartphone, no Google Maps. You are looking at a phone book for the Bronx and are looking through every establishment called Gabe's. Yeah. And you're driving to it to then ask them questions yeah. about their establishment to determine if this is the establishment. And you don't even know because this is a pizzeria that Arthur went to in the Bronx in like the 30s and 40s, maybe. And let's go with the 40s that he went to in the Bronx in like the 40s. Could we don't not know be it's there. still there. Could just yeah. straight up not exist anymore. World so this War is II a, happened. <laughs> this is a gesture. This yeah. is a gesture that Doug is doing out of guilt. And so he's he's commissioned Deacon to go with him. And it's this is where we get... It, it is interesting that they're looking it up in the phone book and it didn't occur to either of them to, to just call, call these establishments. Yeah, they could have just called. Yeah. Um, but again, you'd have to like call from somebody's house. Carrie's got the phone at Doug's house. Fair. Um, so you'd have to go to Deacon's house. You know what? Call. Sometimes I don't get king, give King or Queen's enough credit. <laughs> Carrie's got the phone at Doug's house. He'd have to either go to Deacon's house to call or use a pay phone to call. Fair enough. Pre-cell phones. They go to all these places. They're not finding the right games. But this is where we get another Deacon on his journey moment. Mm -hmm. And so Deacon says, and Doug says, like, look, you don't actually have to be doing this with me. Like, I can go or like, I can drive you home if this is just too much for you. And 
Deacon's like, no, I don't want to be home anyway. The stuff with Kirby's kind of got me a little messed up. I'm afraid I'm going to go home and see him in a girdle. So he's trying to figure stuff out. He's trying to work stuff out. He's clearly uncomfortable with what happened with his son. He did he did the duty of buying the costume and taking him trick-or-treating, but he is worried about what does this actually imply about his child for the rest of his life. Yeah. And, and so he's trying to figure that out. The show itself does seem to just like Kirby's Assume. Guy. Yeah. Assume. Kirby's guy. I don't feel like being home right now anyway. This thing with Kirby's got me kind of rattled. I'm afraid I'll walk in the door and he'll be wearing a girdle. <laughs> Look, take it easy, all right? Just because he wants to be a girl superhero doesn't mean he's gay. You know, they say that most drag queens are actually straight. That's supposed to make me feel better? <laughs> this is what I wanted to talk about kind of like in the summation, but like I, I completely agree with you that it is incredibly weird that King of Queens has made this choice that because like a nine-year-old child wanted to dress as the other gender for Halloween that like automatically gay, gay, gay. It is too early for trans issues to even be like thought about in a mainstream sitcom at this point in time. Like they don't even touch it. Yeah. They don't even get anywhere near it. There's as, something like, overt text. Something, I don't know, delightfully sloppy about landing on that of just like this oh, little you boy. so on what I have in my yeah. notes. <laughs> It's just a, a delight, like the King of Queens writers, like, I made you this mud cake. Because... <laughs> That's exactly where I land in my notes is like, this is a sloppy, sloppy mess where they get to a conclusion of like, uh, I guess you pass. <laughs> yeah, because they're like this little kid that wants to dress up as Blossom for Halloween clearly gay gay obviously absolutely. that's a gay obviously thing to do. gay because here's why here's why i definitely think that like the writers of king of queens are like gay 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 because we're in the car deacon's showing his concern about this and doug says you know i read somewhere that most drag queens are actually straight but the fact that he didn't say the writers of king of queens couldn't come up with Hey, you know, just because he went as a Powerpuff Girl for Halloween doesn't mean anything. And if he is gay, he'll figure that out and tell you when he's ready. But until that time comes, there's not really anything to worry about. They didn't do that. What they definitely did was Deacon thinks the kid is gay. Doug thinks the kid is gay. Doug recognizes Deacon thinks that the kid is gay and is feeling upset about it. Doug also understands why he'd be upset about it. And to comfort him, he says, your son who dressed as a girl for Halloween clearly is not only gay, but going to be a drag queen. But it's okay if he wants to be a drag queen because actually most drag queens are straight. The <laughs> mental gymnastics. It's, it, I don't want to spoil like Deacon's arc. <laughs> But there's more. Right now, Deacon's just, he's wringing his hands. He's worried about it. He doesn't want to be home right now. Yeah. And so Doug says, you know, most drag queens are actually straight. Um, to which Deacon replies, that's supposed to make me feel better? Um, again, which, like, is wrapping up into this that, like, being gay is, like, one part of the shame, but, like, another equal part of the shame is like 
a man wanting to express femininity. Yeah. A man transgressing masculinity. Even and it's not a man, it's a boy, but he's putting the expectations on this boy of a man of masculinity. Yeah. The idea that a boy would want to transgress masculinity and portray femininity is as is as revolting to this man as the idea that his son might be gay. Equally equally upsetting to Deacon. Yeah, you know, you, which one? Which one? Did that be like for shitty fathers? Like, would you rather? <laughs> <laughs> would you rather your son be gay or be a straight drag queen? <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely a would you rather for a shitty dad. <laughs> like, if you knew somebody who threw out Bud Light recently, ask them that question. Let us know what they say. Yeah. We'll put it in the poll, but only do it if you ask a shitty father. Yeah, you can only do it if you ask a shitty dad. So they're bopping around. They're looking for the Gabe's Pizzeria. All the while, Carrie's making phone calls. They hate her dad, blah, blah, blah. She's doing trick-or-treaters. Carrie's plot from here is completely uninteresting. The yeah, people just I, hate her dad. I think she's That's done. That's it. That's, it's <laughs> done. You're. I'm sorry, Carrie. But we do come to an interesting scene where Doug and Deacon find the correct restaurant. Mm -hmm. After hours of searching, they walk into the correct Gabe's. It's got the monkey with a mustache. Uh, by some miracle, this restaurant has not changed any of its branding in like 60 years. It's a landmark. It's a landmark. It's an institution in the Bronx. Yeah. No branding has changed. It's been a monkey with a mustache for ages upon ages. And Doug and Deacon walk in and oh my God, they've made it to the promised land. This is it. He can get the lemon ices. He can be redeemed. He can forgive this person who he just recently learned was human. And he asks, hey, hey guy, can we get some lemon ices? And there's another, another stumbling block in our hero's journey sisyphus's boulder has rolled down the hill once more zachary yeah writer realized that they were only on page 18 and unfortunately gabe's is closed yeah sorry i zed out the register yeah he's they talked to the, the guy and he's the like no i'm not selling it to you i zed out the register and honey i get it <laughs> <laughs> honey i get it i work place somebody walks in after hours like First of all, anytime, feel free. Walk in and ask for free pizza. And it's like, I don't give a shit. I gotta get, it's either here or the trash can. Yeah. <laughs> I zed out the register to which Kevin James begins his plea. Buddy, I got $20 in cash for you. Keep the whole 20. Give me the lemon ice and I'm out of here. That sounds compelling to me. Yeah. Because I can tell you what, I do that. <laughs> I'd make that deal. Yeah. All right. Suddenly the register's back open. <laughs> you don't even need the register, baby. You don't even need the register. You just take a little scoopy scoop of that lemon ice. We don't need to let Gabe way. know. Gabe doesn't need to know. Gabe doesn't need to know. You just give us a little scoopy scoop. I'm on my way. You got $20 in your pocket. What Gabe know, doesn't know won't hurt him. What Gabe doesn't know won't hurt him. And there we go. We're on our merry way, but the shopkeeper has no... No love for him. I'm not selling you lemon ices. 
And so a desperate dog turns to desperate measures. He is willing to commit crime upon crime to absolve himself of, of the guilt, the newly developed guilt of learning he wronged another human being. And so as the man goes downstairs to throw out the trash, Doug just locks that door behind him and suddenly he is in the shop. With the door locked, there's no way that that man can come back upstairs and he gets to work on stealing lemon ices. So he's scooping him up and oh my God, I accidentally got pineapple. Oh my God, I accidentally got banana. We, we really got to stretch out the time here. Yeah, he's, yeah, finally yeah. We're only at 19. Up, he's finally scooping up the lemon ices. And he locked the door coming up from the basement so the guy couldn't return, but they forgot to lock the front door. And so in walks a customer. And the customer is asking for things, and all of a sudden Doug is just repeating everything the shopkeeper said to him a few minutes earlier. But Doug decides, all right, I'm already stealing from this place. I've already commandeered this pizza shop. Fuck it. I'm Gabe now. Look at me. Look at me. I'm Gabe now. I'm the game now. <laughs> so fuck it. I'm already commandeered it. Let's go. Pirated pizza shop. And so he just starts serving the guy. And this is where we get our final Deacon moment on his arc and his journey. Where the the guy who's come in said, yeah, it was a late night, kind of a tough night. There was traffic. And then, ah, there was that crazy gay pride parade downtown. You having a good Halloween? <laughs> oh, yeah, sure, you know. That's stuck in traffic coming home, though. They're having that big gay pride parade downtown? Oh, man, that's a wild scene, I gotta tell you. My son's gay. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Great kid, great kid. Mm. I love him a lot. Ah. He's been quiet for a while. Deacon's been quiet for a while, ruminating. Just going on, just taking a tour of his mind palace, really thinking mm -hmm. about some stuff. Thinking and about some just stuff. He just he chimes in and says, my son's gay. <laughs> and I love him. He's a good kid. He's a good I kid. Him. I love my kid. I love my gay kid. I love my gay son. <laughs> <laughs> So Deacon, he's trying something on. Much like his son tried on the costume of Blossom, Deacon, too, is trying something on in this moment. He is trying on father of a gay son. Yeah. He just he's came saying out of the, the closet. Words out loud. <laughs> he is saying the words out loud to see how they feel in his mouth. And after he speaks it in the world to see what may come, what dreams may come. And the guy in the shop just says, oh, that's nice. And Deacon moves moves on with his life. You he's know now, in he's, Heather's he's the funeral scene. I love my dead gay son. I love my dead gay son. <laughs> if there's any way you can hear me, Kurt, buddy. I don't care that you really were some pansy. You're my own flesh and blood. And no, you made me proud. My son's a homosexual, and I love him. I love my dead gay son. That's what, that's what I kept thinking of. Where <laughs> it, they fake the suicide of two frat, like football boys. And, uh, and like the suicide letter is like, we're gay, and we didn't want to live in a hateful world. And this father <laughs> just becomes like a lifelong lover. He died, so our flag. love can live. 
<laughs> yeah, he becomes the founder of B-Flag. Yeah. That's what's happening here in a world where, remind you, this is like a small boy who has expressed no actual inclination about his gender or sexuality in any like real way aside wanting to be Blossom for Halloween. I don't know um, a lot about King on a of quick Queens. I hope this is like a long arc of like Kirby's not gay and he gets older and older but like Deacon is like fully in it at that point and like invested he's been telling everybody that his son's gay and he loves him and so like he really kind of needs Kirby to be gay <laughs> like listen the girls at P-Flag they are not going to have it <laughs> like if you start telling people that you're straight then like I'm not going to be invited to the potluck and I already bought the crab legs <laughs> yeah I'm looking I'm looking through like Kirby backstory right now and there this is never touched upon ever again would have been a ripe vein <laughs> yeah so Deacon you know he went from homophobic father who argued with his son for seven hours about whether or not he could wear the Powerpuff Girl costume to dad who begrudgingly took his son trick-or-treating but was clearly embarrassed and ashamed over his choices to I love, a, I love my dead gay son to a father with some anxiety to I love my dead gay son <laughs> and that is the journey that he says, I love my son. That is the journey that Deacon went on here. And so we've already talked a lot about it, but I did. it's worth like trying to understand what King of Queens is really ultimately saying here about queerness. Yeah. What, what sort of discussion, what thoughts do you think King of Queens is contributing to gender performance? sexuality where are they really landing on do you think i think it's what you said it's the messy little mud pie yeah. i i made you a gay i made you a, a supportive gay p flag gay 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 like i really do think that this, this was their messy this, little mud pie yeah they like in the in the meeting like all these guys are sitting around it's like gays are hot right now how do we how do we do gay gay is hot gay is in gay it shall be and so all of them just thinking putting their heads to it and it's like if a boy went as a girl for halloween he's gay. gay right yeah and he's gay and then what if like we just like accept him for being a gay kid and that is the that is deacon's arc of the episode so it's, it is very much like this messy, messy, messy plot of like just assuming this child is gay, taking no time to like educate yourself on gender <laughs> at all as a construct, no time to educate yourself on drag as a construct, considering the, the comments that Doug made. And but at the end of it, where I truly believe their heart was, was like Deacon supported this gay son, and isn't yeah. that good? Listen, isn't that what you fathers <laughs> should be doing? That's what, that's what I think they were trying hey, to say. Hey, sometimes the kid's going to be queer. That's how it shakes out. <laughs> literally, I literally think that's what You still got to love them. You don't have to be happy about it. 
I don't think King of Queens is asking you to be happy about it. But King of Queens is telling you, you still got to love them. Still got to love you, queer kid. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, yeah, it's a messy little mud pie of a plot. But I believe their heart was in the right place. I give them a C minus. Listen, your kid may be queer, but they're still here. You got to be a good dad. Forget about it. (laughs) C minus. They get a passing grade. Yeah. So many opportunities to do so much better. There are many other properties that do like boy dressing as a girl for Halloween. Who would have thought? Because the entire time, like King of Queens, uh, oh, King of Queens is going to dive into like cross-dressing and like sexuality uh, with, with a child. Oh boy. So it's like, just like a race car and like the wheels are falling off and it's like going <laughs> through and you're like, sure, several people are going to die. But it just finishes, it gets right through the finish line and you're like, I'll take it. You I know what, King of Queens? It. I'll take it. The the car is a charred mess, but somehow you escape alive. Yeah. And that's King of that's the King of Queens queer subtext. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're rainbow mud pie. <laughs> but as as Doug is committing what I'm sure is at least a misdemeanor, multiple, if not felonies, like he kind of kidnapped somebody. He held them against their will in a basement. So he f- completes that work. He gets the lemon ices, he leaves the 20 on the table, he leaves the customer in the store, and he leaves the man locked in the basement. Goodbye. We leave Gabe's pizzeria, and he then goes back to the hospital, and he delivers to Arthur the lemon ices. How these lemon ices are still intact is beyond me. I can't believe that they weren't melted to shit, but they are. He delivers the monkey bag puts it right on Arthur's bedside and Arthur wakes up slowly from his his ischemia nap and the monkey comes into focus and Arthur lives out loud guys he's living out loud his emotions are right there on his sleeve yeah and he gets too spooked by the monkey by the monkey with the mustache he's too scared too spooked he's living out loud and he faints again. He has another ischemia. Doug chastises, or Carrie chastises Doug again for, I don't know, reasons. This one doesn't seem like Doug's fault to me. Yeah. Um, um, we really can't help that your father is uh, quite excitable. Doug's <laughs> scared of paper bags. <laughs> doesn't seem like Doug's fault to me. He goes in and he's sharing the lemon ice with, with Doug. And this is very good, Douglas. Thank you. They've resolved their issues. Uh, they've realized that it doesn't matter who's man of the house and who has the power because at the end of the day, we're just both people. And it takes Jerry Stiller back in his mind's eye to when he was a little boy. Cut to Sicily, 1943. It wasn't Sicily. That was a a Golden Girls reference. But we're at Gabe's Pizzeria. Arthur's a small boy. He stomps into Gabe's Pizzeria. He's got his little beanie on and his 1940s outfit. Smacks the money on the table. And full-throatedly, this child actor yells, Lemon Ices! God, what would you give to be there for, like, the casting audition? The casting, that that's all I thought. That's yeah. all I thought about watching the scene, was the casting for that role. Because like, you were seeing hour after hour of, like, stage mothers coaching their children on how to do a Jerry Stiller impression. 
<laughs> yeah. Just, it's like, just imagine that, like, it's that, it is like, sing out, Louise. Yeah, they were it's like. it's about Jerry Stiller. 300 kids in Burbank, California were given, like, an education on Jerry Stiller. <laughs> <laughs> There's just, like, mama roses abound in that room. <laughs> just, uh, just having them watch the clip of Jerry Stiller, like, Festivus episode. <laughs> now you have to talk like this, Jimmy. It's not lemon ices. It's lemon ices. Do it again. Run it again. Jimmy, that's not what I told you. Run it again. Did you do I need to watch Festivus again? I had to do one of those uh, like elementary school plays where like I, it was for like Thanksgiving and I, my job was to hold sit there for like 40 minutes at the right moment, stand up and say, I love pumpkin pie. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then sit right the fuck back down. <laughs> and I have like this memory of my older sister, like fully mama rosing it and being like, again, <laughs> again, <laughs> you need to do it bigger. We are playing to the back seats, Zachary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Play to the balcony. <laughs> I'll tell you that that town that night, was they knew that I loved they pumpkin knew. pie. They knew. He was a pumpkin boy. A pumpkin pie boy <laughs> of Columbia, South Carolina. <laughs> and that concludes our episode. That's the episode. An interesting tour. <laughs> Uh, we, like Doug gets like one little achievement badge of human empathy. <laughs> his first one. Yeah, his first one. He, he won his first like Girl Scout badge. Someday and... he's going to learn his wife is a person too. Woof. Yeah. Can't wait to be there for that. Unfortunately, the show got canceled before we got there, but surely they were planning on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was going to be another day where Doug rinsed his dishes. Every... That was coming up. Every time we watch King of Queens, I more thoroughly understand Kevin Keiko fuck himself. <laughs> it, yeah. I mean, it is King of Queens. It you have a King man child with a mommy wife. Um, mm -hmm. Carrie's definitely living in hell. But, but this is all written through Doug's perspective. So she's also written often as like unreasonable. Read the ischemia moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she's just a big bully. She's such a mom being mean to me and saying no. But um, she's always DTF. Yeah. Yeah. It did carry, this is definitely because Kevin can go, can go, Kevin can go fuck himself. They really do deal with the fact that like the Carrie character loves the husband and like deal with like how that is just this delusion that she does or stuff that essentially in Kevin can go fuck himself. The delusion that it is a sitcom is the Carrie characters delusion it is her protecting herself <laughs> by deluding herself that she is in this wacky scenario we're all having fun here instead of seeing the world as it actually is so maybe king of queens is really from carrie's perspective mm. um, and she's perspective oh. for protecting her own ego instead of being like you gave my dad two heart attacks <laughs> in 24 hours look i only blame one of them on doug I know, but who knows what was behind the sitcom filter? <laughs> <laughs>
Very fair. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it could have actually been much darker. I did look it up. I guess it's pretty hard to get a heart ischemia from being scared. In case you were wondering about the medical accuracy of this episode. Yeah, I, I glimpsed the Mayo Clinic thing. <laughs> pretty hard. It turns out it's mostly like all of the things that could give you a heart attack give you an ischemia. It's yeah. just a mild version of that. So it turns out Doug was right when he said maybe it's salt. Yeah, the blood, the heart was pumping wrong. That sounds like a solid answer, Doug. <laughs> you know what Doug's not always wrong he had a few moments in this episode where yeah. you know he, he had some good points he learned empathy for a moment he he had to understand that you know ego games are it's a false it's a it's a false war that's been created to protect a hollow masculinity and at the end of the day we're just all, you know, we're all our stories. And he needed to respect Arthur's. Okay. You have your RuPaul. So I was not thinking about it the whole time. I got give me, a, give me a moment. Okay. Give me a moment. It's hard now because you already said the blossom part. So now it's stuck in my head. I'm afraid I'm going to have yours. Yeah. 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 I mean, there aren't that many pieces of a puzzle to use. All right. I, 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 I have something I'm building. Okay. Uh, but first, before we get to that. I, I do want to ask, just maybe as a, another little bow tie thing, what what was your Halloween costume situation? I don't I don't actually know this. What were your your go tos? What what's your ha- Halloween costume? I was history? trying to think through this, and I actually can't super remember all of my Halloween costumes. So when I was little, there were Disney princesses for sure. Mm-hmm. I remember being Jasmine. I remember being Pocahontas. I remember being Tinkerbell as a little girl. I was a cat one year. I was a witch one year. I do remember the one that sticks in my mind of like, that should not have been allowed was at some point there was, you know, a a cultural shift where Halloween became, as they say in Mean Girls, right? It's just an excuse. It's an excuse to just dress like in a slutty outfit and look hot. And that's fun. Like an excuse to wear laundry in public. And that's great. I love that. (laughs) Do you girlies. But as that sort of cultural shift was happening, I was in about seventh grade and my mom said I could pick out a costume. And so I just ordered this pirate costume online and it was full on like lingerie, <laughs> like pirate lingerie. Did it not have a picture? It did, but I thought I was like, I thought I was hot when I was 12. <laughs> and so I, I have a deep memory of putting that on and being asked to wear a turtleneck underneath it. <laughs> I did. That is also like a core. I don't you probably don't have this growing up in the south, but like a core growing up in the Midwest memory is every single one of your Halloween costumes, you are like Jasmine from Aladdin, but Jasmine from Aladdin with a windbreaker on. Always. Yeah, Jerry Seinfeld has a bit about that. Yeah. Like go, had going trick or treating as Superman with like a big puff uh coat on. <laughs> Yep. That is the Midwest. A few Halloweens ago, we had like three inches of snow. It just happens. So you are, you're Tinkerbell, but you have thermal leggings on. You should, maybe you could make bank, be like the spirit, like a, the spirit Halloween, but with like a winter apparel. Winter apparel. You're going as like Elsa in that like fur coat. Like that kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) But also make it 1799. Yeah, 
Yeah, somehow. Just fill <laughs> with packing peanuts. For me, my the first one that I can remember is like when I, there's a point where my family was super religious. And so we could only dress as Bible themed costumes. And that's so, how you get them on the devil's holiday. Yeah. And so I have this like very early memory of being dressed as Moses. It's kind of cute. Yeah. I had like the, my mom like got some felt and like cut me like a little mouth hole. And so I had like a gray beard. And Honestly, old, uh, all right, children dress like old people always slays. Yeah. <laughs> and I have a, a rather trauma traumatizing memory of that of like there were these like people that were like part of the organizers and they're like quizzing people on the bible trivia and like at the party that we were all going to and if you got it wrong then you went to a, a cage that they had made in the gymnasium with above it just like in fiery letters hell <laughs> And some some dipshit found my seven year old ass asked me to say all ten commandments. Couldn't do it, so I was sent to hell. <laughs> I was sent to hell, uh, <laughs> and I was wandering out. around. My parents weren't there with me, like by my side, and so they just had to find me eventually. <laughs> In hell. In hell. <laughs> Turns out you've been there since. <laughs> I've actually never gotten out. <laughs> oh fuck! I'm still there. <laughs> and then once they like sort of mellowed out on their religious shit when they got divorced, apparently they were both just performing it for each other. <laughs> I like we were never able to like buy our costumes, uh, so we all had always had to make them one of my costumes. But for like four years in a row, I really settled into a rut of a, a look that I was pretty proud of. And that was um, what I called the scarf pirate, <laughs> which is I would just go into my mom's closet and she had like all of her scarves and I would just make like this scarf. So it was scarf pirate. And I did scarf mummy mm. where I would just wrap myself up in all these scarves and stuff, do like the pirate thing and then people had no idea what the fuck i was i was just wrapped in very colorful silks and frills and shit and just every every house gayest mummy yeah just the gayest mummy ever and i would like <laughs> go through town in, in like the south and every single house would be like what are you and i would look them in the eyes and i'd say i'm a scarf pirate <laughs> <laughs> So and somewhere out there, your dad was telling somebody in a pizza place that you're gay. <laughs> I love my dead gay son. <laughs> Je Jessica, you got your RuPaul read for Deacon. Deacon is walking up on the uh, runway stage, and we are about to judge him on Drag yes. Race for his parenting skills. What you got, Deacon? Your handling of your son's Halloween costume gave you passing grades. But unfortunately, we are going to have to put you on lemon ice. Damn it! <laughs> Fuck, that was mine! <laughs> Better go back to the blossom thing. No, well, no, that was it. It was gonna be, uh, Deacon, your parenting skills are surely blossoming. But I think it is time for us to put you on lemon ice. Oh, we're twinsies, though. Twinsies. Thinking of the same thing. 
What a fun ride this has been. That's it. Thank you so much. Follow us on all of the places, Instagram, TikTok. Email us at becauseitwason at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. Tell your friends about us. We're really trying to grow at this point. Tell your friends about us. And if there are podcasts that you listen to that you think we would make great guests on, let us know. We're trying to understand where we could you know, branch out and make friends in the podcasting world. So if you have anywhere you'd love to hear Zach and I pop up, let us know. You guys probably listen to some good podcasts. So tell us what you're listening to and where you'd like to see us. And also, just to remind everyone, my birthday is coming up and it is my goal to get access to international versions of the Golden Girls. Particularly, I'm fixated on the Dutch version. I've tried my damnedest to get a hold of this and I can't. So I need the cooperation of the three Dutch people. That the listen. international community. Yeah. We have international listeners. So if you live in a country where there is an international version, like there is like a your country version of the Golden Girls, go to your local library, scan it, do what you need to do, and then send it on over at because it was on at gmail.com. Let's make this happen. That's folks. our plea. That's the dream. That's our plea. You never know. It's, it might happen yet for you, Zachary. Yeah. If All it right. doesn't, you're watching Los Spookies. So high stakes Halloween forever. All right, gang. Thank you so much. What a journey it's been. Lemon Isis. And remember folks, the thing where you can help a jellyfish sting by peeing on it is not actually true. It's kind of hot. Bye-bye. Because it was, because it was on, 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 rate, review, and subscribe to, because it was on. Whoop, 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 whoop.